Hey. hey, welcome to Urban Planning is Not Boring. I'm Sam. And I'm Nat. Okay, so I am so excited to introduce my friend Gia Chinchilla, who I know through my work that I do with Climate Action Lab. She's the founder, so I'll let her tell you a little bit about it, but we're just going to have kind of a conversation today about mm-hmm. Gia's work and her motivations and experiences, so I'm super excited to have you. Well, I'm super stoked too, and I have to acknowledge that we are doing this in person. Yeah which is exciting our first ever episode in person and it's funny because despite all of the variables against us today to make (laughs) it happen we found a quiet place to get together and have this conversation and i gotta say like after doing everything on zoom Mm -hmm. i'm sure for you too doing school and working over zoom the past few years and being able to just like meet each other in person yeah it's so nice even just outside of the context of climate action lab it's it's awesome, but thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. I think this is only the second time that we've met, met besides the beach. Like, I'm pretty sure this is the only <laughs> other time we've met in person, which feels weird. Exactly. So I feel like I've, like, known you for for long. Yeah. Which we have, I guess, now, but, yeah. like, in person. Think about it. We talk consistently every week. Yeah. And then you just don't see that person. It, there's actually, like, a term for it. I know we're, like, digressing here, but there's a term that describes feeling like we know someone even if we only know them through a podcast or Instagram or just like Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to find the word later. Yeah, so I guess if you want to start with just like a little bit about yourself and then I guess about Climate Action Lab since that is how we've met. Absolutely. So my name is Gia Chinchilla and I am a jack of all trades as I like to say. I'm a sustainability professional but you know that's that's such a broad umbrella word. Yeah. Um, but my primary focus within the sustainability world the past five to six years has been on transportation. Um, I am a trained mobility policy expert. I went to UCLA Um, And I got a double major in political science and in environmental studies geography. So I know you're a a Trojan. Yeah. So a little bit of a... (laughs) I have no... Like, my mom went to UCLA. I wanted to go to UCLA, but I didn't get in. So here we are. Well, both are equally (laughs) as wonderful and toxic. So I was at UCLA, uh, studied uh, sustainability policy, and I was really convinced that I would enter the environmental policy sphere. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't find any jobs in that when I graduated and I actually dove right into consulting and I was at this firm whose name which I will not state on this (laughs) podcast uh, whose focus was transportation consulting and that's kind of how I got in the space of just mobility Mm -hmm. Um, I was helping um, with transportation electrification projects all across the state of California really just helping our clients whether they were, you know, small transit agencies to large Fortune 10 or 500 companies meet the, their decarbonization goals mm-hmm. um, and helping them identify like funding opportunities to adopt uh, transportation uh, technology and equipment. We were, and I like to describe that we were like the liaison between the manufacturer of net zero transportation technology, mm-hmm. so think electric vehicles, and between the client who wants to buy them yeah uh and that uh, kind of shaped the direction that i've been heading more recently as mm-hmm. i'm now no longer of this consultancy yeah you know i <laughs> we can have yeah. a different discussion about that but 
consulting is definitely not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Um, and I just was not down for that type of work schedule anymore. But uh, uh, now I am working in uh, carbon credit management, specifically with transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize I, I didn't mention Climate Action Lab, uh, but outside of all of my, what I've been doing on this side, I have been running. Uh, Climate Action Lab, just how I know you, Sam. We are an environmental justice uh, digital media platform based on taking climate action in Los Angeles. We are now, like this week, actually three years old. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, I feel like the two-year anniversary was like... Like a month ago. A month ago, yeah. when we were at the beach. Yes. It was it was a month ago. Yeah. And uh, really, that's where we know each other is because you are a content writer mm-hmm. on the research and content team. Um, but really, like I mentioned, Climate Action Lab is a online space, hopefully in person, given, I mean, with the variables of COVID, it's, yeah. it's hard, but a community where, you know, we can form in people enough to take climate action themselves and mm-hmm. really just center on this idea that anyone could take climate action or just have the discussion about climate change. So we cover everything from energy to transportation, which you and I are focused on, to urban planning, to everything under the sun. Yeah. I'd love to know a little bit too about, you know, three years ago, obviously pre-pandemic, like what kind of inspired you to take this leap like digitally? Obviously it's paid off in the meantime since digital advocacy has been kind of like the main I feel like outlet a lot of people have had but like kind of going into why you wanted to start Climate Action Lab in the first place. Absolutely Uh, so I had I mean really the impetus to want to start Climate Action is because I wasn't seeing digital spaces at the time have like there wasn't an online community where discussing climate change felt mainstream or Mm -hmm. even just light and humorous I think five years ago uh you talk about climate change and there was a certain doom and gloom mm-hmm. about it which is absolutely valid yeah. um or it felt really distant it yeah. felt like something that was not happening immediately in our backyard um so at that this time i was like graduating college and i was uh ha- i had this internship where i was helping out the city of LA release uh just marketing collateral and conducted outreach campaign about an El- their Los Angeles Green New Deal, mm-hmm. which was this like expansive, massive commitment through a policy landscape to meet climate action goals. Yeah. And I thought it was this insane plan that deserved recognition. And when I was looking at their outreach, there was like no involvement of young people mm-hmm. or like younger, you know, youth organizations. It yeah. was all just major media groups. And I, I told my boss, I was like, hey, can uh, can can I take a stab at creating a sort of like campaign for young people? And yeah. that's kind of how Climate Action Lab or the idea of it was born. Okay. Um, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like a, a side hustle because of the internship. And mm-hmm. then I had like my professors in college at the time mm-hmm. kind of help shape the idea and draft the name with me. Mm-hmm. And then I remember I should have been studying for a final. <laughs> but instead, I was, like, drafting out the logo of Climate Action yeah. Lab and, like, our mission statement. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank God I graduated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I graduated, started Climate Action Lab, like, a week later. Um, and, like I mentioned, I just wanted a place where we could have discussions about climate change that's mm-hmm. obviously affecting our, our city of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Tie it to the neighborhood. Because, obviously, like, I mean, you live in L.A. Yeah. yourself. I know we're in different neighborhoods, but uh, the issues you have in 
the west side in Santa Monica mm-hmm. are different from mid city to yeah. Silver Lake, Echo Park, where I'm at, um, and make climate action or climate change real, yeah. but not just leaving it at that. Mm-hmm. I don't want us to feel like we are at this doom place. Yeah. I, I wanted there to be like an action item mm-hmm. tied to the, each of our stories. So not only are you reading and being informed about what's happening, mm-hmm. you could also feel like, oh, okay, there is a way that I could stay connected mm-hmm. and take action from this, whether it's signing a petition mm-hmm. or getting involved with another nonprofit who might have more resources <laughs> and ways to get involved and volunteer. Yeah. We're also like a liaison, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, connecting our members with opportunities to take immediate action in our in our neighborhood. Yeah. It's funny because my professor mm-hmm. was in my planning or methods for planning for sustainability in cities, something like that. She is the chief sustainability officer of LA, who I feel like you might've met while right, because this Green New Deal is like her baby. Like we went over it extensively. Is this Lauren Faber O'Connor? Yes, so she was my, uh, not my direct supervisor, but she was the head of our department. Okay, so she was my professor. Amazing. Yeah. Oh yes, I remember we were yeah chatting. And so about this. we like went very much so into the Green New Deal, and it's like so extensive. It's a one hundred seventy-five plus page uh, behemoth of a document that is the product of so many different stakeholders. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm sounding really policy <laughs> jargony right now, and I'm not saying that this is a perfect uh document but it's a really great attempt Mm -hmm. and literally just like the outcome of so many different pieces so it was honestly a pleasure to be a part of a of a a plan you know like a blueprint for what la is going to do yeah um and like you might have noticed in your class there's probably shortcomings yeah um but at least there's attempts yeah and i think that there are measurable steps set forth over the next uh, 15 years Mm -hmm. and to give folks context who are listening if you want an overview of the LA Green New Deal it's just the city of LA's uh, action plan to reach a net zero by 2050 yeah and uh, each like what five ten years there's going to be Mm -hmm. like a kind of benchmark to reach and uh, during those benchmarks, there's going to be these like honest assessments of mm-hmm. like, where are we meeting the goals yeah. versus where are we not? And uh, I had the opportunity to help out with the transportation and the water and waste management chapter. So that's okay. also what kind of got the wheels turning for me. Yeah. Um, ah, this transportation thing, it's a huge part of our lives. Yeah. And I like how they do, like, it, like you said, there is an honest assessment because there was like a progress report that they just released and it's like honest about okay we haven't quite gotten to where we want to be here but we have accomplished this and we're getting there with this and I think it's nice to have that like reminder of like where you are in the process and like actually holding you know folks accountable so like we haven't gotten here yet and we want to yeah I'm curious to know because you had her as like your professor which is amazing because you could attest to this but she's like just Lauren Faber O'Connor is such an incredible oh yeah leader I love love and I had her and then Elizabeth Crossan who I don't know if you've come across but she also um worked with the mayor um but they were both like fantastic and fantastic women in the Mm -hmm. field who and they were like obviously very in touch with like reality of like I feel like sometimes professors who are like heavy in research they're like 
their whole kind of thing is like their research, but they are like practitioners. Yeah. So it was great to hear from them on like what it's actually like out there. I'm curious, how did your class react to, I guess, coming through the plan? Mm-hmm. And were the professors open to the feedback? Like, was it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we we went through it like a, a couple different times throughout the class, um, just looking at different what the elements of it were. So, like, there's mm-hmm. like justice woven through it, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, like, the different, I guess, tangible goals of like, okay, we want like 50 more parks by this date. Yeah. yeah. Um, and kind of looking at how there was like metrics of success and how you could go about like using the Green New Deal as a model for other cities. Um, I would say I think some people in my class shied away from critiquing it because it was something that like these women were like very invested in and like kind of created with a lot of other people. So I don't know if there was as much feedback that there could have been, but they, I think if, when there was, they were Mm -hmm. very gracious and obviously not going to attack someone for having an opinion about, you know, oh, I think this could have been better as blah, 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 whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But I think diving a little bit more into transportation, since that's kind of what we're both focused in, I'd love if you could talk a little bit about, like, kind of what e-mobility is and, like, Mm -hmm. how you see that today like fitting into our urban form because we've talked about this on a previous episode of how like transportation in LA is kind of yeah miserable for a lot of people honestly like um and how these kind of like static line bus systems might Mm -hmm. not be what's most effective in a city like LA Mm -hmm. so I would just love to hear like kind of just an overview of kind of what e-mobility is Mm -hmm. and then how you see it integrating into yeah. the urban form that we have. I love the word choice you just used right now, static, because I've been trying to find a word <laughs> to describe public transportation or just mobility yeah. in Los Angeles, and that is the perfect word, static. It, it's not fluid, it's not adaptive to mm-hmm. like our needs, it's just a rigid structured mm-hmm. and often delayed <laughs> yeah and unreliable unreliable uh, mode of getting around um yeah. even if you have a car yeah uh especially if you have a car sometimes. especially <laughs> if you have a car so that is a great great observation and, and happy to answer that question so i guess i'll just begin with uh how i started working in transportation mm-hmm. and kind of the reason why too mm-hmm. um as a born and bred Angelino. I'm a product of urban sprawl. And the way I get around has always been ingrained and I think in my livelihood. Mm -hmm. And it's part of my everyday decision making. Um, Not just about like what brand of toothpaste I use to brush my teeth or what coffee I'm going to get, but like how am I going to get to work? How was I going to get to school? And always without my involvement, the decision of using a car, Mm was just always the go-to, the automatic response. Mm-hmm. Um, after studying in Los Angeles and then beginning to work in Los Angeles, with having that layer of beginning to work in transportation as a consultant, I began to reflect and realize in my own experience, like, wow, as an Angelino specifically, I mean, we could be general with America mm-hmm. overall, because yeah. 
our urban blueprints are kind of the same across the board, unfortunately. Like the lessons of Los Angeles are unfortunately being played out in Houston, in the suburbs of Nashville, in essentially any kind of developing city you're seeing right now, Denver, for Mm -hmm. example, Portland. Um, We are living in cities that entirely rely on cars as our mode of transportation. And Mm -hmm. we are seeing that that's not helping out with our quality of life whatsoever. So that's a long way of saying that I entered transportation because I was just curious about why we just decide to use our cars all the time. Yeah, like why we've accepted that as the norm. (laughs) And as you and folks who listen to the podcast might be familiar with, like transportation, it's not the second largest emitter of carbon emissions or because our buildings i think like concrete and buildings might be the first exactly transportation follows exactly so it's like if we're really interested in like you know uh, getting to the root of eliminating our carbon emissions Mm -hmm. uh we got to address of course buildings which i'm sure there's another podcast about (laughs) second we really got to you know address uh transportation so uh I think mobility is the way that we live and move and play Mm -hmm. in our city. And I'm like building this definition right now, but it's like not a, like mobility is not static. Mobility is all factors, all questions that we ask ourselves when we decide to get from point A to B and like how we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, uh, Los Angeles has a pretty rigid system of getting from place to place. Mm -hmm. Not that it's impossible. Yeah. Um, there are certainly efforts now, I think, to promote uh, public transportation usage. Mm-hmm. Um, there's micromobility options now mm-hmm. in certain pockets. Yeah. Um, but still, we have some some ways to go in order to have more of a like robust uh, system mm-hmm. of of moving around. Yeah. Um, but I, I think we we definitely have some some ways to go and. One, I think, important facet of improving our transportation is electrifying Mm -hmm. it. So that's where my focus is with my current work, right? Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, when I was a consultant, I was connecting my clients, right, with the manufacturers of Mm -hmm. e-vehicles. But since I'm not wearing my consultant hat anymore, (laughs) I could honestly say that it's so much more than just replacing Mm -hmm. our current vehicles with an electric one. Yeah, It's about... (laughs) actually getting us out of our cars entirely Mm -hmm. and uh kind of eliminating that logic that we have that we need a car yeah um, and that we can move around a city in uh in so many different ways bike scooter i don't care like hoverboard (laughs) bus yeah yeah um i'm just curious have you like looked into any of the la 28 like olympic like plans at all Yeah, so this is a story that the Climate Action Lab team, we were discussing about, we were going to feature it in our July lab report Mm -hmm. or a July story that the team does, and we decided to table it and we're going to look into it like Mm -hmm. a little further. Um, But a a part of my current job actually is looking at the LA 2028 Mm -hmm. mobility plans. And for folks who are unfamiliar, um, the Olympics are coming to Los Angeles. In 2028, and as we all know, there are benefits to an Olympic coming to a city, and there's also many, many detriments Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And uh, one thing that is happening because of the 2028 Olympics is that finally LA City and LA County are starting to adjust aggressively 
push on the timelines of delivering on transportation solutions. So there's a monorail uh, set to or included in a mobility plan. They are trying to make the 405 freeway corridor multimodal. So you know, being available to buses and a light rail and mm -hmm. uh, you know pedestrian traffic too. Um, creating a people mover, which is that the same thing as a light rail? I, I think don't, I don't know. A I tram? think so. Yeah, I think it's like a tram, yeah. right? A tram going through South LA. They're trying to connect downtown LA to the LAX airport, mm -hmm. which is amazing. So, that being said, they're they're looking to wait. They're looking to transform Los Angeles, yeah. hopefully. And how the current way we move, which is static, they're trying to eliminate that completely. Yeah. Um, that being said, there are definitely, I think, contention points to that plan. How are we making sure that gentrification uh, doesn't result of it, which mm -hmm. seems kind of inevitable. We're seeing yeah. that South LA, like Crenshaw is already saying. Yeah, I mean, even after SoFi Stadium went in, like yeah. it's already, I, I've talked to a couple people who live in the area and they're like, now we have to pay for parking on our street because there's permits, especially yeah. on game days. And there's just like all of these different factors that go into it. And I just think it's, it's inevitable. Yeah. Like you yeah. said, that it's going to happen. And I don't know if any policy or plan is going to be without fault. Yeah. That's what I'm kind of like realizing the more I get into the trenches here, like mm -hmm. anytime a plan is put forward and even if you have the collaboration of community advocates and yeah. organizations uh, it's it's going to have some sort of default but hopefully these plans are flexible enough mm -hmm. to be adaptive to take into account the concerns of people so maybe mm -hmm. the current plan and its first or two drafts uh has faults but mm -hmm. then maybe with time and more output they could readjust and yeah. recenter but uh Take it as you will. I think that the plans will transform the way that people move. It's finally yeah. going to be connecting neighborhoods that historically have just not been connected. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this ever since we kind of talked about it at the yeah. Climate, Climate Action Lab. But the fact that all this is happening because there's like this big sporting event, which is obviously going to make the city a ton of money. Yeah. But it's like, why is this why does it only happen when there's like these big events like people have been asking for transit like reliable convenient affordable transit mm -hmm. for decades yeah and like now that the olympics are coming like it's going to happen but like is it ultimately going to take people like where they need to be long term or sure. is it just going to service like the stadiums and the different yeah. like event tourist centers. touch points yeah, yeah we're people are going to be at for the events yeah and that's a fair question and i think this is where involvement of just angelinos really comes into play mm -hmm. i think it's up to us as like voting citizens yeah. or just as people who care about our neighborhoods and our communities to voice out reach out um mm -hmm. make sure our voices are heard mm -hmm. for example we could uh and this potentially will be in the <laughs> climate action lab story but uh, for example, we could leave public comment to mm -hmm. LA Metro, whose services are bus and uh, subway lines, mm -hmm. and let them know that we have concerns. I yeah. think that uh, uh, they won't, our concerns won't be heard unless we voice them. Yeah. You were lucky enough to be at Urban Futures. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, I wrote it down because yeah. I was like, I need to explain what this is. <laughs> um, so Urban Future 
and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but it's a conference where, like, from their website, it says, urban shapers, leaders, entrepreneurs, sustainable cities, media, and talent are getting together, or got together, mm-hmm. for change at Europe's largest event for urban sustainability. Yes. Um, and you were lucky enough to be a part of the Young Leader Program cohort. Correct. Which is incredible. Thank you. Um, and so I guess... And you've spent a lot of time in Europe, obviously, mm-hmm. um, in Paris. So we would just love to hear some of your reflections on not only, I guess, this conference experience, but just being in Europe and this difference that we have in culture. Because I think that, like, every time I go to Europe, which isn't mm-hmm. often, but I'm just, like, taken aback by yeah. how different the culture is. Well, you were just in London not yeah. too long ago, right, with your partner, mm-hmm. and I remember we were chatting about your reflections afterwards of just, oh my goodness, how do we accept in LA the way we get around yeah. when you're around, uh, not saying that London has a perfectly functioning mm-hmm. transportation system, but at least it's more functional than ours. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, like I mentioned, being born and bred in, in Los Angeles, I've always been aware of our difficulties and challenges associated with mobility, which is why it's always led me and want to experience a different city mm-hmm. and learn from others, maybe not necessarily just in Europe, but around the world yeah. to see where we could learn, you know, from mm-hmm. mistakes and also just like their wins. Yeah. Um, it led me to spend some time in Mexico City about a year ago where mm-hmm. I was there for about a month and a half kind of uh, not only just personally wanting to explore and live mm-hmm. but observing the way that like the largest city in Latin America mm-hmm. is moving their people around and yeah. they have actually a really robust public transit system yeah my friend sorry to interrupt you Please. but she's there she went for spring break and was like absolutely in love like she mm-hmm. was like I'm gonna move there like I don't even <laughs> want to come back to LA like yeah. I need to like end my <laughs> lease and now she's there for the month of July amazing just living working remote and like is having just the time of her life and I, I have not been and I'm like I need to make it that I recommend it to any urbanist or to just anybody who loves food or the warmest people (laughs) to go down. Uh, It really is a fantastic city. Let's hit up your friend. Yeah, no, for real. (laughs) Um, But that being said, one of my goals while in college and or also just as being a young professional in uh, transportation and consulting was to go to countries or cities within countries in Europe who are kind of leading the charge Mm -hmm. and are reshaping the way that people live and move. So Mm -hmm. uh, I had heard about the Urban Future Global Conference pre-pandemic from, funny enough, Lauren Faber (laughs) O'Connor while I was interning. (laughs) It's a full circle moment. I'm just realizing that now. And I was lucky enough to be nominated uh, and recommended to attend and participate in this this global conference, Mm -hmm. which is the largest, like Sam was mentioning, the largest gathering of urbanists and city planners and mm-hmm. folks in finance and policy and all across the board media, right, to to come and discuss how you make urban uh, centers in, in Europe more green and more functional. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, after two years of pandemic, I had the opportunity to attend in person in Helsingborg, Sweden, and it was really such an eye-opening experience to see for yourself firsthand how a city could actually function. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can't compare Los Angeles to Helsingborg yeah. specifically. They're totally different sizes. Yeah. 
Um, but still, I think that there are lessons that we could take away mm-hmm. in uh, adopting kind of the functionality of, of, of a city like Helsingborg or uh, speakers from, from all over Europe where they're talking about their cities yeah. and kind of like putting their cities forward and getting to participate as a young leader myself and also a speaker um, in one of the sessions discussing kind of equity and climate action in mm-hmm. city uh, planning was uh, was was a thrill, but it was also great to share the highlights of Los Angeles, mm-hmm. not only just our yeah. <laughs> terrible transportation. I will say this, anytime I said I was from LA, everybody was like, oh, how crazy, do you have a car? Like, yeah. how long does it take you? I hear it's like an hour and a half, and yeah. I'm like, it, it, it is. is. <laughs> it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would say just kind of like big lessons learned while spending time in Urban Future and also in, in Paris, uh, where uh, my partner currently lives, so I've been spending the past year kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main takeaway is that cities in Europe are prioritizing people over cars. Yeah. Number one takeaway. So as I'm sure you saw in London, mm-hmm. uh, we could look to Amsterdam even. Yeah. Paris now is an incredible example of transforming a city in only a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, Paris is now a bikeable city. Mm-hmm. All of their design within the historic center and other major cities in Europe are just focused on getting people out of their cars and, on, and yeah. onto the road. And how do you do that? Making roads feel safe. Yeah. Having the proper bike infrastructure, mm-hmm. having different options for mobility and introducing micro-mobility, yeah. which I know we both have chatted about in the past. And while there's flaws, there's also wins with that too. Yeah, I mean, even I biked here mm-hmm. and biking down Venice oh my gosh. is scary. And so I Damn. bike on the sidewalks. And I'm like, if someone pulls me over yeah. for bike, I'm going to say, you bike on the street <laughs> and tell me how you feel. Like, it's not a fun experience biking in most parts of LA. It is not. And I'm totally going to segue here, but please like entertain this if you don't mind. Yeah. Since spending time in Paris and over the past year and then coming back, it's definitely reshaped my own relationship with LA. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've been thinking about ever since I've returned a few weeks ago is how do I learn to reshape my relationship with LA? How can I learn how to move around here differently, even mm-hmm. if it's inconvenient yeah. to bike or ride a scooter or what have you? I'm still going to try. So yeah. I've been kind of conducting an experiment while living in my neighborhood and, and getting around and riding to work. But I'll tell you, like riding down like Echo Park Boulevard when mm-hmm. I go into the office in downtown, I'm on the sidewalk too. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's not impossible. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, because you said that you ride your bike, yeah. you know, in, in, in your neighborhood. And, and when you're talking to your friends that are not urbanists, mm-hmm. what's the reaction that you get from people when you tell them that you ride a bike or that you take the metro? living specifically in LA? Um, Are people shocked? <laughs> yeah. So my I a lot of my friends in LA specifically live right around USC. So they okay. have less of a commute. Like they're walking to campus. Okay. Um my friend who is in Mexico City right now lives in Santa Monica and she doesn't have a car. Okay. So she takes the expo the expo line. Yeah. And then I think it, it, there is an inherent challenge with being a grad student in LA, specifically <laughs> like at USC and not having a car because we have class till 9.30 at night. Yes. Yeah. And so 
it can be, especially as women and, you know, we're young and whatever, yeah. like, taking the metro at night can be scary. And so oftentimes, like, I will drive her home. So at least we're carpooling, like, mm-hmm. you know. But um, a lot of people are kind of surprised that there is, like, public transit that people use in L.A., like, yeah. especially people that aren't from L.A. Sure. Or they'll be like, oh, you're brave. I would never take the metro in L.A. Like, that's scary. Like, they're, you know whatever this that and the other but I actually really love taking the expo line it is like a new light rail line it's not heavy rail so that makes a difference in like the comfortability and it's above ground yeah yeah, it's above ground um but I do like it's shorter for me to take the metro nine times out of ten than driving down the ten at 3 p.m or 4 p.m and then trying to find parking well I had to pay for parking last year at USC which is not cheap too so I hear you if I didn't have class till if I felt more comfortable like Mm -hmm. navigating transit at night like Mm -hmm. I wouldn't need a car really because I live across the street from a Trader Joe's and a CVS so I walk there I have a Starbucks and like other coffee shops right near me sure like I I actually think for where I live Mm -hmm. transit is pretty accessible yeah like there's this service called LA now yeah yeah through LADOT and it's like it's like a little van that it, the area right now is really small because okay. it's a pilot but like for me to get to downtown culvert like sure, it sure. just comes to my house picks me up yeah. drops me off so it's like a shuttle it's like or? an uber that's so convenient but it's in a van okay so yeah it's like a shuttle sure, but it, sure. it's more like demand based it's like yeah. i need to get from here to here and it only operates on the weekdays it's supposed to like be a first last mile Got solution Got of it. like okay you're you're at the expo, but like sure. I live in a mile away from the expo, so sometimes when I get off the train, mm-hmm. I'll call the LA Now. Will come drop me right at home. That is amazing, and this is yeah. not an ad for LA Now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually just resigned from working for LA DOT, oh. but I, I do really love that service, and I hope that it is able to expand because, like I said, the area right now is really small. Sure. But I think, like, challenging myself to be less reliant on my car, because I feel like when I first moved here, I yeah. didn't know the lay of the land at all, so sure. I was driving everywhere. Of course. Like, even if I was just trying to go, like, a couple blocks, like, I, I was just like, I mm-hmm. don't know, like, where I can walk and, like, where it's safe and whatever, and yeah. now that I've kind of lived here for a while, I am challenging myself to be less well, and like, gas prices, obviously, yeah, but yeah. I'm trying to be, like, less reliant on my car. Absolutely. All the time. And I think sometimes it is hard. Like, mm-hmm. my friend, I guess, not my friend, Natalie, who is a co-host of co-host. this podcast, <laughs> um, lives in Rancho, and so for her to get, she works for Metro. Okay. So for her to get to Union Station, like, she has to take Metrolink or drive. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of times Metrolink takes a while. Sure. So it's, like, this balance of, like... Time, convenience, and time, and then I don't know. It's definitely hard sometimes when transit's like gonna take you substantially longer, which a lot of times in LA is the case. Sure. So I'm hearing two things here, (laughs) (laughs) and I I hope still all of my word vomit down. (laughs) No, no, no. I it it made absolute sense, but I think the two things that I'm hearing and that I want to send directly to our city officials yeah. to our county officials to the board at la metro to la dot <laughs> everyone who's obviously listening to this podcast everyone who's listening to this i'm gonna cc all of you yeah. <laughs> no bcc <laughs> cc at mention to you guys 
first and foremost is definitely a safety and security issue. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned, I have had also the same reaction when I share that I take the expo Mm -hmm. line. I think I was telling you before I would take this expo line. I was working at the consultancy in Santa Monica, but Mm -hmm. I lived in mid city. So Mm -hmm. I would hop on the La Cienega station to go down over to Bergamot station in Santa Monica. But I remember I was probably, it was like 1.1 mile away from the La Cienega station, which is, there should be in any other city, no need for a car. But as you know, going down any major boulevard, Mm -hmm. 7 a.m. on a weekday, it's a highway essentially. Um, But still I would bird scooter or ask a roommate to drop me off Mm -hmm. or sometimes take the the, the metro bus if it was reliable enough. Um, but that issue of riding back at night um, is also what kind of deterred me. So making sure that we have more security monitoring yeah. on on metros and making sure that they're reliable, I think, mm-hmm. is the you know important for people to feel like they are empowered enough yeah. to take the transit. The second thing that I was hearing, and this is something that I think it's on the Otis of Angelinos, Otis of responsibilities on the Angelinos. It's really a cultural thing. Oh, absolutely. The culture of just the fact that an Angelina isn't aware of transportation options, it's because our culture is totally Mm car-centric and car-centered and and what we drive and how we we get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And this could be getting meta and... (laughs) But really, I as hard as it may feel to shift or adjust a culture, I do not think it's impossible. Mm And how do we shift a culture? Informing and education. And this isn't like a shout out to Climate Action Lab, but I guess I will. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm glad that there are pages like Urban Equity Collective that you run, like Climate Action Lab, like all of the other incredible environmental education Mm -hmm. platforms that are on social media or on the internet now because people are trying to, you know, change the grain, if that's the perspective. Like they're trying to shift the culture. And you're starting to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to hear people be a little more aware of the Expo line. Yes, yeah. it still shocks people that I take <laughs> Metro or that I'm like getting rid of my car, mm-hmm. which is another story. Um, but you're starting to hear about it a little more frequently and mm-hmm. seeing more ads. But again, two things, again, to sum it up, it's the security issue and then making sure that we are shifting the culture and it's not impossible. Yeah, so as a PSA, there is transit in LA, and it should be used. It's definitely utilized by certain populations that kind of rely on it more, Mm -hmm. and I think that people need to see it more as, like, a desirable option as opposed to, like, just something that exists. Exactly. You know? But I feel like that seems like a natural place to to end, so thank you so, so much for coming on. Like, (laughs) this was so much fun to just chat, and it just felt so like natural and awesome and can we continue doing this in person absolutely just riding our bike together and talking about transportation because i could do this all day long i could literally do this all day long too (laughs) um yeah you're always welcome to come back please whenever you whenever you have something that you really want to talk about just let me know you got it awesome well thanks again course thanks sam and if you want to keep up with i think both of our work probably moving forward i know Mm -hmm. you're at urban equity collective uh you could find the work that we do together on climate action lab we have a website climateactionlabla.com uh our instagram is climate at climate action lab 
Um, if you want to get involved directly with the Climate Action Lab team, you could join our monthly club meetings where mm -hmm. we open up the platform to community members who just want to voice opinions. And one project that we have moving forward is uh, going to be working on an education uh, mentorship campaign with the Southeast LA students. So we've worked with these students in the past and it's going to be exciting to talk about uh, green jobs and green economy with them. Yeah, but other... I'll link all that in the show notes sure. as well. Well, I hope to see you at the next Urban Future Global Conference. I really, really want to go <laughs> like, so badly. Like, I applied last year and I didn't get it, yeah. and I was like, dang. But I'm, like, young and, like, I'm still excited. Yeah. I'm still going to, like, re, like, reach reapply. out and reapply. And now that I, like, I'm familiar with, like, I've kind of contacted the people that I think run the youth yeah. leaders and I know you and yeah. obviously I'm gonna put in really good word I'll be in Germany <laughs> next year I'm, I have a feeling we will <laughs> all right Thank you so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Urban Planning is Not Boring. If you did, please remember to send us to your friends and follow us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember guys, urban planning is not boring. No, it is not. <laughs>